Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning, North Monroe. Good to be here this morning. Y'all know you have a campus in Bastrop. I pastor there. Uh, we are so excited to be there. We love Bastrop. Uh, I was telling the earlier service, man, people ask me, where are you from? I say, I live in Bastrop. And they're like, oh, really? And I'm like, for real, we love it there. You know why we love it there? Because God is doing something there. And I'm not just saying that. I really love it. And I love the way our church is partnered together um, for the sake of the gospel, not just in Monroe, but in Bastrop. So you have influence in that, and you have a testimony to share there. And so I'm thankful to be here with you this morning. Um, And I'm thankful for North Monroe because of the simple, biblical, but yet challenging vision that we have, right? Great commandment, great commission. Love people and love them to Jesus. And, uh, and that's what it's all about, that we're all here and we're all experienced. It doesn't matter if you're in Monroe or in Bastrop, we're all here for the same reason. I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be, but as you're turning there, I want to share this story that I read um, this week. And this story deals with a rather old-fashioned lady who was planning a couple of weeks of vacation in Florida, and she found a place that she liked at this campground, and, and she was qu- kind of delicate and, you know, dainty or language. She, she was very elegant in the way she um, spoke, and so she wrote this email to the particular campground asking for reservations, and she wanted to make sure that this campground was fully equipped. Now, when I say fully equipped, you know what I mean, right? They had restrooms on the premises, and so she didn't know how to do that in her language. And so she thought and she thought and she finally came up with this old term. And the old term was bathroom commode. And that's all she could think of. And then she thought, well, that's still not proper. And I'm not going to write that in an email. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to abbreviate it to BC. So she simply wrote in her email, does the campground have its own BC? And the campground owner got this. He was not old fashioned. And he didn't understand what BC stood for. So he was kind of, kind of going through this in his mind for a couple of days and he never answered her. And he finally kind of came up with maybe she's, maybe she's talking about the Baptist church. And, um, so he finally wrote back to her and this is what he said. Dear madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter. But I now take pleasure of informing you in that the BC is located nine miles north of the campsite and is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it is quite a distance away if you're in the habit of going regularly, but no doubt you'll be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And it was so crowded, we had to stand up the whole time we were there. It may interest you to know that right now, there's a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats. They plan to hold the supper right in the middle of the BC, so everyone can watch and talk about this great event. And I'd like to say it pains me very much, but not to be able to go more regularly, but it's surely not for desire, lack of desire on my part. You know, as we grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come down to the campground, perhaps I can go with you for the first time, sit with you, and introduce you to all the other folks. This is really a very friendly community. Uh, 
Obviously some misunderstanding there, but what, what, what I get from that story, first of all, is wouldn't you love for somebody to talk about your church the way he talked about the local Baptist church there? There's awesome things he said about that. And even though that lady didn't realize what she was looking for at the time, and he didn't realize it, what I realize is, is that no matter what people are looking for, when they come in this place, what they can find is Jesus. Because that is what we're here for. That is what it's all about. And, and I love the church. But I not only love the church, I love this church. And when I say this church, I mean North Monroe because North Monroe is this church. And North Church Bastrop is North Monroe. And I, I've served in a lot of churches in my 25, 30 years in ministry. And, and I'm not just saying this because I'm here. But North Monroe is a special place. Um, and I believe it's because the mission has always remained paramount and the mission is always the same, that we are going to accomplish things for the kingdom of God through the great commission and the great commandment. And so I want to encourage you today in Philippians with this, because here's what I want you to know as you leave this place. If you don't remember anything else, understand this. God is not finished with you and he is not finished with us. And that sounds like bad news, but that's good news. It's good news. Coming off of Easter and the victory weekend that we celebrated, we have victory in Jesus and we have a victory to celebrate, but we still have work to do to get the good news to the people that need to hear it. And then sometimes we look around at the condition of the world. If you watch the news, sometimes things seem hopeless, don't they? Sometimes it just doesn't thing, seem like the message is getting to where it needs to go as quickly as we would like to see it go. Maybe you feel like you aren't really making a difference for Christ in this world. Maybe even today you're dry spiritually and maybe, maybe this message hits more of a personal note for you because in your own spiritual walk, you realize that sometimes you feel like you're just treading water. Or maybe your, your family and your, your, your relationships are, that are close are not where they need to be. But here's the thing, and here's what I want you to know, is we are not at the end of the story. And God is still working in you, and He is still working in us. So if you're here in this building today, I want you to know that there's still work to be done in you. And there's also work to be done through you. I want us to look at the letter of Paul that he wrote to the Philippians. And I want to encourage you. I want to point out a couple of things this morning that hopefully encourage you, but also challenge you a little bit. And the first thing I want you to see is, is that we're all in this together. Aren't you glad of that? Look at first Philippians chapter one, verse one it says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, Paul is addressing this church as a whole and he's saying, hey guys, we're all in a common mission. We're all in this together. As part of the church, we all belong to Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have accepted Him as your Savior, if you, if you are following Him, then you, you, have, um, you have a partnership with those in this building. Those of us who are in Christ have something that bind us together in a way that other people can't, can't explain. They can't understand it. We're partners in a ministry. Paul would say it like this in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, there is one body... One spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Did you notice how many times he said one there? You see, we are all in this together because of what we share in common. And what is it that we share in common after all? It's Jesus. In Jesus, we are one body and we are one spirit and we are called to one hope. And guess what? The world outside these doors need hope. And we have the hope that the world needs. And so we leave this place and we go out into this world and we share it together. Each of these things that we share as a whole together is greater than anything that would divide us. Do you understand that? Our world is so divided, isn't it? I mean, just look, do you watch the news? We have a unified hope. The world needs what we have. We have something to offer to people, right? Jesus, the gospel. It sounds so simple, but we have it to offer. And that trumps all the things that exist, like Blake was talking about earlier, that seek to divide us, right? The gospel unifies us to be people of purpose. And we're all from different backgrounds. We, come, we don't all look the same. We don't, all, we don't all act the same. We don't all even think the same sometimes. But I think that's beautiful. And what, I, what I'm telling you, we've heard a lot about this this year with COVID and all this stuff. And let me tell you, in the church, this is so important. We are all essential workers. We're partners together. We're all essential workers. You all have a part to play in this. We're all connected to the mission in some way, and in every one of you has a gift or a talent to be used in this mission. And those are gifts that no one else has that they can't. I can't use my gifts in your place. You have a place where God has put you, and you are to use your gifts in that place. And so what I love about it is is that we're all together, we're all partners, and we're all unified, but in that unity, there is great diversity, right? Unity doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we all look the same. It doesn't mean we all act the same. It doesn't mean we all think the same. And that's by design. We serve a creative creator, and he designs us to come from different backgrounds, to have different upbringings, to have different perspectives and ways of of seeing things, to have different gifts, to have different talents. I mean, just think about the disciples. Man, what a ragtag band of guys that come together. You got fishermen, you got bankers, you got tax collectors, you've got zealots, you've got smart alecks, you've got humble guys, you've got guys that speak too much and guys that may not speak enough, and they all come together And they changed the world as we know it. What about if you look further in the New Testament, you got people like Luke. Luke was a doctor. Lydia was a wealthy merchant, businesswoman. You got a a jailer who comes to Christ, a slave girl. You got Jews, you got Gentiles, you got men, women, young and old. God used all of them to impact the world. And so while they were very different, Jesus was their common bond. And you see, through the gospel of Jesus, the Holy Spirit unifies us. The church, the church, church, we are a group of different people, socially, racially, economically, 
even, dare I say this from here, politically, we're different. And even though those differences exist, we can come together as one force for the sake of the gospel. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 3. He said, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. Listen to this, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so he addresses this letter to this church. And he says, guys, we're all in this together. And he notices he addresses several different groups. And the first group that he, he addresses is the saints. Now, he was not talking about a football team. Because if he was talking about a football team, he would have said cowboys. Right? <laughs> I Man, that did not land in the early service either. Just so you all know, they were mad at me over that. But, but here, here's the thing. It's not about a football team, but it is about a team. But then, look, when, when you hear the word saint, you think super spiritual group of people who've got a super spiritual mission to complete. That is not what Paul's talking about, y'all. Everyone who is a believer in Jesus, everyone who has come to Christ, everyone who is a member of the church is a saint. You are saints, right? And we have been set apart for Christ and the gospel. We are ordinary people but we are ordinary people with an extraordinary purpose to change the world. One more thing to notice too, even within the church, Paul shows the structure. He says, saints, I want you to hear this. But he says, hey, I want you to also hear this, deacons, and I want you to hear this, leaders, right? Notice how he even identified himself. He said, me and Timothy, we're slaves of Christ. Why did he do this? I'm thinking this is Paul, right? Paul has the credentials the background, the upbringing, to kind of look down on everybody else and talk down to them and pull rank on them, but he didn't. And you know why Paul didn't do that? Because Paul's only concern was, was the mission. He wasn't concerned with himself, right? He recognized that no matter what the person's office was, whether they were the pastor, whether they were the deacon, whether they were the saint, the member, they were all partners in the same mission. No one was more important. No one was less important. Well, then I thought, well, why does he make that distinction then? Because he does. And, and I think there's an important thing that he addresses in Ephesians chapter 4 that tells us why he makes that distinction. Look at Ephesians 4.11. He says, And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. You see, structure in the church was given for a reason. The people that were instructed to lead the church had the, had the job, had the, the responsibility of training the saints. And that word training there literally means to equip. And so it is the job of pastors, it is the jobs of your ministry leaders, it is the jobs of, of all those who are called to the ministry to equip the rest of us for the, for the calling that God has placed on our life, to give us, to show us how to use our purpose. And so our mission, the reason we exist is to make disciples, and we've got to know how to do that. And that's why the structure in the church exists. So church, we're all partners in this thing. No one's exempt from that. We are to use what God has given us to build up the kingdom of God. And look, make no mistake about this. Every single one of you is necessary. Every single one of you is essential. You ever... Ever been to a, the zoo has these because we went yesterday. You ever been to a carnival or something and you see those cutouts and you stick your face through the cutout and it looks, it looks funny and it put that picture up there of my parents. Um, 
they'll appreciate that. They're sitting right there. But, um, um, you know, we do this and it's funny. We look at those things and like, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny picture. It doesn't quite fit. It doesn't always work, especially if it was, you know, backwards and you, you make it look really silly. But I thought this was a good observation by Pastor Dan Barnard that he asked a question about this pertaining to the message that I'm preaching. He said, if we could picture Christ as the head of our local churches, our local body of believers, would the world laugh at the misfit, much like you laughed at that, or would they stand in awe of the human body so closely related to a divine head? In other words, may we as a church, may we as a church be so on mission, doing what God has called us to do, that we accurately reflect what Jesus should look like in this world. That we don't look like a misfit body. I pray that we don't look like a cutout. You're an essential worker. We're all in this together. And guess what? Y'all smile with me this morning. You should bring each other joy. We should bring each other joy. Do you know that? Look at verse 3, Philippians 1. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, Paul was probably most likely writing this letter from a Roman jail cell awaiting sentencing, um, and he was probably in a dark place personally, but did you notice how he prayed? He prayed with joy. He prayed with joy when he thought of this church because they had partnered with him. They had locked arms with him and he was encouraged by them. And so they brought him joy. How many of you think of this place and you experience joy? How many of you think about the people that you come in contact with in this place and they bring you joy? How many of you think about your leaders and you experience joy? You see, this place should be the most joyous place on earth. Disney World shouldn't get to claim that, right? The church has the answer and the church should claim that. We should bring each other joy. We shouldn't be a, di- a distraction for anyone. And I, th- I tell you this, when I, when I think of you as a church, and, and uh, I know I don't primarily deal with you in Monroe, but when I think of North Monroe and I think of my people in Bastrop and I think about you and I pray for you on a daily basis, I, I, I smile. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what God's doing. And I'm thankful for the way that people buy into the mission. And let me tell you what, if you want to bring your leaders joy, buy into the mission of the church. Show them with your attendance. That's what Paul says. Paul says, I pray for you in joy because you have partnered with me in the ministry. You have locked arms with me. And that's ultimately Paul's basis is their partnership, their fellowship. Paul was their leader. He was their pastor. They brought him joy by their buy-in. What about you? What about your life group leaders? Do you bring them joy when you participate or when you're active, when when you're present? What about your pastors? Do you bring your pastors joy by your attendance, by your service, by your encouragement? Do you see yourself as a consumer when you come in this place or do you see yourself as a partner? Because you know what? Consumers, we come in and we come to church and we take, but partners invest. 
And we're to be investors in the body of Christ. We're to be in, to make an investment for the kingdom of God. I've been here five years. Do y'all realize I've been here five years? The last time I was here at, on this campus on a Sunday, I believe we were making our pledges for daring faith. Man, can y'all remember that far back? That seems like a lifetime ago. But can you think about five years ago and then think about what God has done over those five years in this place, in the life of this church? I mean, for you guys, you're sitting in a, a building where people are coming to know Jesus. People are being baptized. Isn't that a, an awesome thing to think about? I think about the things in Bastrop that we've seen God do, and it is, it's just amazing how God has poured out His, His Spirit and His blessing on us. And I smile, and it brings me joy when I look back at the blessings and the things that God has done. But you know what makes me smile a little bit more? Looking forward. Because guess what? The message of the gospel is, I am not done. The message of the, the, the gospel is, I am still working. So we have to be sure this morning that God isn't finished. Look at verse 6. I am sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God started a work in you at the moment you accepted Him as your Lord and Savior. God started a work in this church years ago. He started it both individually and locally. And look, you can be sure of this about God. When He starts something, He will finish it. It will be completed. What work has God started in you? Let me give you three things I want to leave you with today as I close up. If you know Christ, if you're a believer, God does, first of all, the work of your salvation. We talked about this last week at Easter, right? On the cross, salvation was paid for for you. And in that, salvation is the work that God does for us. It is a work that we can't do for ourselves. You can try, but you will never succeed in gaining your salvation by doing anything. Jesus completed the work on the cross. Aren't you glad for that this morning? That Jesus hung on a cross and took the wrath of God that was meant for you, and He took it on Himself. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And then Jesus is hanging on the cross, and He utters those words, It is finished. It is finished. Redemption is bought. Salvation is won. Forgiveness is offered. That work is done. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, don't worry. You don't have to do it. It's already done for you. Just believe it and accept it. And it's free. That's the work that God does for us. And then God does something in us. And that's the work of sanctification. Just a big, fancy, churchy word that means God's still making us into something. Sanctification is the work that God does in us. We've been talking about this for weeks in Romans, right? If you go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In other words, if you're saved this morning, you call yourself a Christian, then God has a plan for you, and here's the plan. He wants you to look more like Jesus. 
He wants you to grow to look more like Him every moment of every day of your life. And this happens as we obey Him, as we invest in the, the church, as we seek Him in His Word, as we spend time in prayer, as we connect with the, the believers. It, it, there's a lot of ways that God builds us and grows us. But God does this work in us, and then one day we're going to be just like Him. John says, we know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. So God does a work for us and He does a work in us. But here's the thing. He wants to do a work through you. And we call it service, you know, uh, service in the church. That's, that sounds so, um, I don't know, legalistic, but it's, it's really a good way to be because Jesus was a servant after all. He knelt down and washed His disciples' feet. He gave all He had. He gave His life because He said, I've come to serve not to be served. And so He calls us to serve, and this is the work that God does through us. Paul says in Ephesians 2, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Pay attention right here. This is important. So that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. You're not created to sit. You're created in Christ to serve, to be active, that my men's retreat guys are going to know this because I've talked a little bit about this at certain times. But if I was to ask you what a famous painting or masterpiece is, you would automatically say Mona Lisa, right? Everybody always says that. I've never been disappointed. Mona Lisa's the one, right? Um, there she is. Man, isn't she lovely? I heard that song playing through y'all's head when it popped it on there. She's not that lovely, and I don't mean that ugly, although it sounds ugly now that I'm saying it out loud. Um, but she's an unimpressive, you know, I don't know how, she's a handsome woman, right? <laughs> she, she, and you can research her. She's a real person. She was a, she's a real person. And she had a husband, I think, and, and says, but we don't know a whole lot about her, and there's a reason for that. But, but, Interestingly enough, this painting of her is worth about $810 million. Isn't that fascinating? For most of us in this room, we would say that's priceless because that's a lot. $810 million. And it's, it's sitting behind like six inches of bulletproof glass in the Louvre, right? And it's not even big. It's not even fancy. I think it might be in a fancy frame, but really it's just a painting. And here's what we realize. That the painting is not priceless because of her. The painting is priceless because of Leonardo da Vinci who painted her. And it's worth $810 million hanging in a museum because of the artist that gives it value, not the person who was on the canvas, but the one who put it there. Well, guess what? God takes somebody like you and says, I'm about to make you a masterpiece. You're going to have value. You're going to have worth. And guess what? You're going to do all the good things that I have planned for you, and you're going to be priceless. Not because of who you are, but because who I am. I'm making you into that. I give you value, God says. And so you have infinite worth and value, so go and do what I've called you to do. 
We don't get to hang in a museum behind bulletproof glass. Now, we like to think that's where we should be. But church, we can't afford to be stagnant with the gift that God has given us. He is not making us a masterpiece for us to sit. He is making us a masterpiece so that we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago to impact the world for Jesus. And you have that worth in you if you know Christ because He gives you value. This is the work that God is doing in you individually. It is the work that He is doing when we come together collectively as the church, the local church, North Monroe, North Church Bastrop. And He is not done because the mission is not complete and He is faithful to complete what He started. And guess what? He wants to do it through you and through me. North Monroe, North Church Bastrop, the church, universal, that is God's plan A. And I have to believe that God is a good planner. And God doesn't have another plan. So He wants to use us to reach people for Him, to serve people, to love people, to show them Jesus wherever we go. We are His plan. I came across this prayer this week, and I want to I end with this. And, and maybe you will take this moment to make this prayer personal for you. Because if you're here and you know Christ, you are essential to the mission. And here's what the prayer says. This is my church. It is composed of people like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do a great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into its fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, faith, and service if I who make it what it is and fill with these. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. Will you be the one to do what God is calling you to do here? Every single one of you is essential. Nobody's exempt in this. We are all in this together. Maybe you need salvation today. Maybe you need to get on the team. Maybe you need to be part of it. Maybe you need to, maybe you've kind of been floating around and you want to be part of North Monroe because North Monroe is on mission and you want to be part of that. I invite you to, to be a part of that today. In just a minute, I'm going to pray and the band's going to come back and sing. But as you leave today, there's a place right outside here called the Belong. You can go out here, find out more information, join the church, find out where you can serve. Or maybe you want to know Jesus. Maybe you, maybe you want to know a little bit more about North Monroe. Go out here and hit the connect. Whatever you do, don't leave here re- not realizing that you are essential to God's plan. You have a purpose that God has placed in you. He is making you into a masterpiece so that you can do what He's already planned for you to do. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this letter from Paul. I thank You for the way that it speaks to each one of us as a church, but God, as individuals, that we can examine where we are with you, God, and we can, we can realize this morning that every single one of us is important 
to the body of Christ, that every single one of us are partners in the ministry. Father, that we aren't saved to sit and consume, but we are saved to serve and touch the lives of others for you the way we were touched. And I pray that you will give people, um, show them that value that they have in you today. God, they've been listening to voices that tell them they're not worth anything, that they don't have anything to give. And God, I pray that they will, they will not listen to that voice, but they will hear your voice telling them that you give them value. And because you give them value, they have a ministry. They have a job to do. And if they're still here, then they have something to give. Lord, I pray that you will move in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.